Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you again today. Thank you for tuning in. Today it's a special uh, Bible study because we are going to look into how to find rest in family ties. I believe this will be very relevant for each one of us because in one way or the other, we are part of a family. And most of all, we are part of the family of God. And I hope that today you'll be blessed as we learn together. I would like to welcome the members of our panel today. And I'll start with Joe. Good to have you with us, Joe. Thank you, Nick. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you to Helen also. Thank you. It's a joy and it's a delight to share. And hi, Brenton. Thank you, Nick. Um, I'm really looking forward to this study, Finding Rest in Family Ties, because I think many of our listeners will find this very, very relevant. That's true. Lydia, good to have you with us. I'm very glad to be part of the Bible study. And Len, also thank you for joining. Thank you for your welcome, Nick, and hello, listeners. I would like just before I introduce uh, our um, facilitator and welcome him, uh, I would like to just start with a prayer, if that's uh, okay. Lija, how would you like to lead us in prayer this uh, time? Glorious Father in heaven, we're coming here before you to bring you honor and glory and praise that you look after us and you care for us. As we study today about finding rest and family ties, we know, Father, that you created a family and you care about families and the members of the families because you longed to be part of a family and have people around you. Father, in spite of the dysfunctional families, you are looking to bring healing and bring love and a strong cord between the family members. So we're looking forward, Father, to sit at your feet and learn from you. Please, Father, bless each individual today that is part of this panel and all those who are listening. And please, Father, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts and your words, your holy words to be on our lips, to learn from you and all those who are listening to be touched by your Holy Spirit and long for Jesus as a personal Savior. Father, thank you so much for everything. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Thank you, Lydia. And it's time to introduce our facilitator for today, Pastor Will. Good to have you with us. Oh, Luke, it's great to be uh, part of this, uh, this little family and, of course, the wider family of God. And we realize, uh, Nick, that uh, there are families that have real struggles with relationships. And sometimes they wonder how God can ever um, impact a family like that. And I think that we'll be able to look at the Bible on this subject today. That's uh, wonderful. And um, uh, Pastor Will, I would just like to hand it over to you. Please take us through this uh, beautiful uh, study. Joseph was part of a big family, and he had been sent out by his father to look for his brothers. And he had been looking for his brothers for several days. And when he found them, keen to see them again, waving as he hastily approached them, he was met with a grim and unfriendly faces. There was no warm welcome here. In fact, his own brothers 
actually wanted to kill him. He would have died if uh, Reuben hadn't convinced the others to rough him up a bit and throw him into a dry well. And there in the pit, the bewildered young Joseph stayed until, until Judah came up with a grand scheme to get rid of him and make a bit of money at the same time. They would sell him to some passing slave traders. I think we should review how the Bible tells the story. Helen. I'm happy to share from the Bible in Genesis 37, 23 to 28. It says, so it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it and they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. And so Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and concern, conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. And then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver and they took Joseph to Egypt. If I just may, may make a few comments on this. Um, we're talking here of, yes, a dysfunctional family, but, you know, here was Joseph and thrown into a pit. There was hunger, there was cold, and so cruel were the brothers. They slighted him when he was in distress and were not even grieved by his affliction. You know, heartless barbarity with what the, the brethren of Joseph sat down to eat and drink the very dainties he had brought from his father's from his father, and it reminds me of when Jesus was on the cross and how they were throwing dice for his clothes. And you know, why they left him, as they thought to starve, had been regarded by all later generations and even today as the height of hard-hearted indifference. Even Amos in the Bible, at a loss to describe the recklessness of his own generation, he falls back upon this incident and cries, Woe unto those that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with a chief ointment, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. So they felt no remorse or, or conscience of sin. And I believe at the bottom of all that, which sadly we can see today in many families, I believe it was jealousy was their sin. And I thought about this, Will, and I thought, could jealousy ever make any one of us feel like killing someone? And before I even got to an answer, I thought, look what happened in the story. There were 10 men who were willing to kill their younger brother over a tunic, a coat of many colours and a few reported dreams. And their deep jealousy, it progressed and it went on to, to ugly rage, completely blinding them of what was right. And jealousy can be difficult to recognize because our reasons for it seem to make sense at the time. But left unchecked, jealousy grows quickly and leads to serious sins. And the longer you cultivate jealous feelings, the harder it is to uproot them. And the time to deal with jealousy is when you notice yourself keeping score of what others have. And Joseph Brethren, praise God, and we're going to learn this as we go through, were wonderfully restrained from murdering him and they're selling him actually wonderfully turned to God's praise. But we're going to learn about that as we go. But jealousy is the root 
there. And I believe that was the root of sin in heaven, and I believe that's the root in many families today. Yes, Brenton. Uh, just quickly, Will, the background to this story of uh, that Helen has just read to us is that Joseph was his father's favourite. His father had more than one wife, and his favourite wife was Rachel, and Rachel's firstborn son was Joseph. Now, what staggers me, Will, about this story, whenever I read it, is if you go back a couple of chapters, and I'm not going to read it, but if you go back a few chapters, you'll find that when Jacob was born and his brother Esau, and they were twins, again, Isaac, his father, and Rebekah, his mother, had favourites. Isaac's favourite was Esau, and Rebekah's favourite was Jacob. You would have thought that Jacob would have learnt from the misery that he went through. Um, Helen mentioned the fact that here were some brothers wanting to kill their brother. Well, can I suggest to you that if you look at the story of Esau and Jacob, Esau was just waiting for Isaac to die so that he could kill Jacob. So what's, um, what is being repeated generation through generation is the fact that there is, seems to be a, a blind spot or an, an, un, an inability to be able to learn from the mistakes of the past. And, of course, we all know the saying that if you don't learn from history, you're destined to repeat the, the mistakes of the past. So I just find this, this whole story quite preposterous in the sense that Jacob doesn't seem to have learned anything. There was probably reasons why he liked Joseph better than the others, but all of us have grown up in families, often will, where there is a favourite in the family, and sometimes it's very apparent to the other members of the family, the other children, who the favourite of the family is. But um, a wise parent is a parent who is balanced and even-handed in their treatment of their children. And I believe having 12 children... Jacob should have been more balanced in his approach to not only disciplining his children, but also loving them. This shouts a serious fracture in the family harmony to me. We get to choose many things in life, but not our family. No one is perfect and none of us have perfect families and perfect family relationships. Of course, some of us are blessed with parents and siblings and other family members who reflect God's love, but too many others, as we have seen, have to settle for less than the ideal. Family relationships are often complicated and painful. They can leave us restless, hurt, and uh, carrying loads of emotional baggage that we in turn tend to offload onto others. We're going to focus today on how we can find rest in this area of our lives. We're going to take a closer look at the story of Joseph and his family ties, and in this way we can catch a glimpse of how God can still work today to bring healing and emotional rest. We might uh, seek to answer the question whether God can bring rest despite seriously disruptive family relationships. Yes, uh, in uh, John chapter 1, verse 46, we read, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. So uh, Jesus was together with uh, Philip and Nathaniel, and uh, this was the question that Nathaniel asked. And uh, we have to look at the fact that many people might point to circumstances in the family and conditions around them just as a, a justification for higher achievements or performance in life. 
But as we look at the story of Joseph or Jesus, Jesus comes from the Nazareth. So something good came from Nazareth. And making an ap- a life application in our state, uh, maybe as we see, as the eyes shows us exteriorly, we cannot judge uh, if something good comes from that family or if something good comes from that area. No, we don't know because only God knows people's hearts. God knows the inner part of, of people. So we don't have to look in exterior and judge. Certainly. Nick? Yeah, what I would like to just add here is that as we are going to explore a bit more uh, in the life of Joseph and his family. And because we know the story, we can take some uh, good uh, lessons uh, from there, but imagine if you wouldn't know the story and if you'll be witnessing all that dysfunctional development, which is happening today in our own time, how easily is to be judgmental, how easily is to be discouraged, how easily is to lose faith because of disappointments in what we see. But what is important here, in my opinion, is that Family, it's still the most important nucleus of society. And we still need to concentrate ourselves to find rest in, in the circle which we live in our families. And even as the church, we mentioned many times that that's the family of God. You know, we are not just by blood, you know, connected. Uh, through our birth, but we are also through the blood of Jesus Christ connected as a family. And I think this is very important to look at, at all these aspects as we are going to see some of the effects and unfortunately some of the results, negative, but also positive results through the story we are going to look into a little bit more. Yes, we've called out uh, Joseph's brothers as being dysfunctional. And um, Brenton has indicated that uh, this uh, condition stretches further back in his family. Uh, What do you folks think? I once saw a picture of a father walking along, taking control of his naughty child, and he had the child by one ear. (laughs) And that ear was much larger than the other ear because this was obviously a practice of the father. But when you look carefully at the picture, the father also had a much larger ear. So this happened to him as he was a child. And there are various dysfunctions. I call them family or generational dysfunctions in families. And this was the case in Joseph's family. His great-grandfather Abram or Abraham had two wives officially, well, one was unofficially, and there were <clears throat> there was problems in the home because Hagar had a child, and then later Sarah had a child, and there was a lot of difficulty there. Then come down to the time of Isaac, and uh, right down through to Joseph, there were family dysfunctions. Now, this does not have to be the case. Brenton mentioned Abram and Sarah, and then Isaac and Esau, Jacob. Jacob had four wives and 12 children, 12 sons, let alone daughters. And interestingly, 
that there was a serious dysfunction with Jacob and his sons. You see, Rachel was his real true love and Joseph was the first child born to Rachel. So he was probably the love child. I want to share with you before we go much further about some of the dysfunctions in families and Joseph's situation was one. Joseph is what's called the golden child where his father, Jacob, lavished all his love and care on that child and it happens in other families too. But you know there are other pressures in families, infidelity with parents, financial pressures, where there's a lack of privacy in the family. Criticism can lead to family dysfunctions. Perfectionism and controlling behaviours. Look, there's a long list. I, I went online and I looked up some of these family dysfunctions. There are some terrible things. And Joseph was the golden child. This is demonstrated by the fact that his father, Jacob, gave him a special coat a coat of many colours. The other children never got one. Of course, there was a lot of jealousy. And so this was the home that Joseph grew up in. And when you think of his later life, with all that, how he came through, it's a, it's a real story. It's a blessed story. And I know other people have had terrible home lives, family dysfunction, but have come through it all and come through like refined gold. Very true, Len. You know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, despite all the family dysfunction, are surprisingly listed as heroes of faith in God's Hall of Fame. And it may surprise some when you consider all that disruption in their family ties. Joe, would you like to comment on that for us? Yes, sure, Will. If we just look at Hebrews 11, it's it's good reading, but if we reflect on it, you'll see that the characters listed there have uh, led varied and and often difficult lives. They made mistakes, they repented, and despite all their turbulent um, and often dysfunctional family relationship, God's word reveals that they learned, and often the hard way, as they wrestled with these issues. But they also have some common traits in some common traits, and that is not that they lived squeaky clean lives, but as uh, Paul refers to in Hebrews 11, there are some common traits just quickly that they, you know, obeyed and they looked forward to a city with foundations whose builder is God and they were living in faith. They were looking towards a better country and they embraced the promises. And so all these characters, imperfect as they were, had something in common and they lived, you know, we might have, you know, from the outside it looked like they were living a topsy-turvy life, checkered with poor choices, turbulent home lives, but God was there and he was growing and teaching them. And uh, we can get courage from that, um, Will, that if we hang on to him and his promises, like nothing else in the world, God is bring a, will bring us through and we will shine. Um, so that is a, a great comfort there for us. Thank you, Joe. Of course, we find Joseph on his way to the slave market now. The young man finds himself captive to seemingly hopeless circumstances. And we could well imagine that this might have been the last we ever hear of Joseph. And uh, he's off to be sold and forced into slavery in Egypt. 
certainly most frustrated, deeply disappointed in his brothers, with every reasonable hope dashed, but God is watching over him to bring order out of a messy family relationships and incredibly difficult circumstances. Uh, give us an idea of what it might have overwhelmed Joseph's thoughts at this time on his way to Egypt where he would, uh, and where he would find a glimmer of hope. I believe um, there are two things that would have been foremost in his mind, Will. The first one would be, what is my future? Do I, in fact, have a future? After all, what am I going to become? I'm going to become a slave. When I get to this country, they have different customs. They have a different language. Uh, The Jews, for instance, would have had beards. Uh, I know from personal experience from having travelled to Egypt that the Egyptians as a a whole were smooth-shaven people. They would have worshipped a multiplicity of gods rather than the true God. Uh, The way they exploited their... um, Uh, underlings is something that Joseph would not have been familiar with. I believe the other thing that would have been foremost in his mind, Will, is this. When, when, if ever, am I going to see my beloved father again and my brother? He would have been uh, wondering about those things, I believe. And there are some comments here that I can just share briefly. As the caravan journeyed southward toward the borders of Canaan, the boy could discern in the distance the hills among which lay his father's tents. Bitterly, he wept at the thought of that loving father in his loneliness and affliction. Again, the scene at Dothan came up before him. He saw his angry brothers and felt their fierce glances bent upon him. The stinging, insulting words that met his agonised entreaties were ringing in his ears. With a trembling heart, he pondered the future. What a change in situation from the tenderly cherished son to the despised and helpless slave. Alone, friendless, what would be his lot in the strange land to which he was going? Well, there are two um, comments in chapter 39 of Genesis, which I'm not going to read, but I will quote them. And it says, but God was with him. Now, here's something just to ponder in summarising this particular section. Do we realise, both ourselves as a panel but also as listeners, do we realise this fact? God had to take Abraham out of his comfort zone in order to make him the father of the faithful. God had to take Jacob out of his home environment to a foreign country, and when he came back, he became Israel. God had to take Joseph out of a spoilt, privileged environment in order to make him the kind of person that God wanted him to be. I don't think these things are coincidental. Yes, thank you. Joe? It would seem that our relationships, our relationships with um, other people are impacted by early, our early relationships with our family. Now, they have a huge, a huge impact on the person that we become. Now, we know that, and it's kind of been alluded to, that Joseph was very much uh, spoiled and indulged by his father and his mother. And so we have that long robe with sleeves that, you know, the one that the coat of many colours in the, rever- the, re- the revised standard version, it says that it was a long robe with sleeves, indicating that uh, Joseph really didn't, wasn't expected to get his hands dirty. And um, it appeared that he wore it everywhere as a bit of a status symbol. And there is a saying that says, give me a child till the age of seven and I'll show you the man. 
And clearly had Joseph remained where he was, he would have probably been a very different person. I think so. Yes. And so we have here Joseph with all the indulgence. Was in a sense handicapped, wasn't he, to um, to be of service to God? But then, when this happened, this was like the game changer. And we know from our readings that on his way to Egypt, he just wept, and he would have surrendered his heart to God and said, "Look, God, I, you know, I have, I cannot do. I don't know what to do. I am out of control. Please, be my shepherd, be my guide, be my protector." And so. This is how he probably learned to be God's child. I'd like to continue on this story, if I may, from the Bible, going from Genesis. We're jumping over to Genesis 39, 1 to 6. And it says in Scripture, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. I'd like to stress those words. The Lord was with Joseph. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned from the time he put him in charge of his household. And of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian. Because of Joseph and the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. You know, here we have this young man suddenly was thrust into that strange new language, as Brenton said, and culture. But we can take the Lord with us in good and bad circumstances. And it is good for us to remember that the Lord loves us with an immeasurable, you know, eternal love. I can't even explain it. And his plans for all of us are for ultimate good. Ultimately, he is prepared to die for us so that we could get the opportunity to become all we were created to be. The cross also shows us. And Joseph is, is a parallel, if you like. And so when we look at the cross, it also shows us our great worth and value to God, regardless of how we measure up in the estimation of friends or even our families or even the value we place upon ourselves. God's focus on us brings us to a very good place ultimately. In fact, there's a quote in a book called Education that says, higher than the highest human thoughts can reach is God's ideal for his people And I just jotted a few extra notes down. I hope you don't mind me taking the time. But those that can separate us from all our friends cannot deprive us of the gracious presence of our God. When Joseph had none of his relations with him, he had his God with him, even in the house of the Egyptian. Joseph, he was banished from his father's house, but the Lord was with him. And it is God's presence with us that makes us, all of us, And all that we do prospers in his sight. Those that would prosper must therefore make God their friend. And those that do prosper must therefore give God the praise. But I'd like to just share a quote that I came across by Matthew Henry on this. And he says, our enemies may strip us of outward distinctions and ornaments, but wisdom and grace cannot be taken from us. They may separate us from friends, relatives and country, but they cannot take us from the presence of the Lord. 
They may shut us from outward blessings, rob us of liberty and confine us in dungeons, but they cannot shut us out from communion with God from the throne of grace or take from us the blessings of salvation. Joseph was blessed, wonderfully blessed, even in the house where he was the slave. And God's presence with us makes all we do the same. God, Good men are the blessings of the place where they live. Good servants may be so, though mean and lightly esteemed. And the prosperity of the wicked is one way or another for the sake of the godly. He was a wicked family blessed for the sake of one good servant in it. Very relevant, yes. Brenton? I'm really intrigued with this comment that Helen read in verse 2, and you find it again, I think, in verse 26 of the same chapter. The Lord was with Joseph. What this text says and what it doesn't say, I believe, is very instructive. What it does say is that Joseph was going through hard times and God was with him. It's not a text that says, and the Lord was with Joseph and delivered him out of all of his troubles. No, the Lord was with Joseph in all of his troubles. And I believe that there's something fairly instructive there because all the great men and women of the Bible, if you look at the way that God works with human beings and with us today in 2021, he doesn't deliver us out of our troubles necessarily. He promises that he'll be with us through them. And as someone has said earlier on, it refines our characters. If we allow him to do his work in us, if we say, Lord, I don't understand why I'm going through this, but I do trust you, I believe that we can say with Moses who wrote the book of Genesis, the Lord was with Helen, the Lord was with Joe, the Lord was with Len, the Lord was with Lydia and uh, Nick and Will and Brenton, because the same promise that's found here applies to us if we are willing to go through the period of adjustment that God knows is best so that ultimately our characters will reflect him more fully. Yes, thank you. Of course, uh, there's always an enemy of souls that's watching and scheming in the household. And although Joseph seems to be getting along very well with Potiphar, and his relationships among the staff in the house on the field seem to be running very smoothly. Trouble is brewing. Someone at home is restless, and there's another relationship, a relationship problem to contend with. Uh, what was that, Len? Well, it was Mrs. Potiphar. She was the problem. Much and a very interesting and inspiring section of the Scriptures. But uh, I just want us to look at Joseph before I talk about what actually happened in Potiphar's household. Joseph started life in a highly privileged position. Mm -hmm. Then he was a prisoner, a slave. And now, because of his fidelity and his um, trust in God, he was elevated to the position where he was the overseer of Potiphar's household. I'd just like to uh, mention who Potiphar was. He was an Egyptian official and he was the captain of the king or the pharaoh's guard. So he may have been away from home for quite long periods of time. And it says in Genesis chapter 39, verses 6 to 10, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. 
Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Well, she didn't leave him alone at that. He made this statement, and she kept on and on and on and on. Come to bed with me. But Joseph refused. He recognized this as sin, sin against God. And I think he also recognized as sin against his master, Potiphar. The Bible doesn't usually talk much about what people look like and so on, but it mentions Joseph being well-built and handsome. Good looks can be a real problem. I once heard somebody say that when you choose a wife, choose an ugly wife who's a good cook (laughs) because that way others won't be attracted to her for her looks. I suppose Mrs. Potiphar was pretty good looking too. But Joseph had purposed in his heart to be faithful. And just before I finish here, you know, when Moses was about to die and then later when Joshua spoke to the people of Israel, he gave this message. You obey the Lord, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you will not be blessed. In fact, you'll be cursed. And Joseph's choice here I think was a choice that was the best choice that anybody could make. Obey the Lord and you will be blessed. It doesn't mean to say you won't have problems, but you will be blessed. So this is a good lesson for everybody. Choose to do what is right and you will be blessed. You know, the proverb, uh, hell hath no fury like a woman's corn, slams down on Joseph's refusal of these uh, sexual uh, overtures of Potiphar's wife. What does the Bible tell us of the payback that she plans, Brenton? Well, I'll read it just uh, quickly and then comment on it. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. Now, have you ever thought about how you would have to organise a large household so as to have all the other servants absent during the time that you made your final overtures to this young man. She caught him by his cloak. It seems to me that up until now, her approach to Joseph has been straight out verbal, come to bed with me. Now she actually throws herself at him and grabs him by the cloak and says, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. I think what needs to be said here is that she saw Joseph as a conquest. She was a woman of privilege. She came from the higher class. He was a slave. She wouldn't necessarily have seen this as just being, shall we say, a one-night stand. She would have seen this more along the lines of, here is somebody I'm used to having my own way. This guy is good-looking and wholesome, and I'm going to have my way with him because that's the way that she had used to think and act. When she saw that he'd left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said, This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. The Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, 
he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. A couple of interesting points need to be made here. Number one, I believe the temptation to Joseph wasn't just on the level of sex. I believe the temptation was on another level also. The other level is that should he have fallen for this and fallen for his master's advances, in their society, it was not unheard of that he could accede to the place of Potiphar. Potiphar could be eliminated and he could become the head of the household. And all of a sudden he would have gone from a slave to the head of an important household in Egypt. So there were dual temptations here for Joseph, and he met them quite adequately. But what we find here in her final attempt to seduce Joseph is this. We find that not only was he true to God, but we find that when she presented her case to Potiphar, waving his cloak around, I don't think Potiphar believed her. Because if he had believed her, he would have had Joseph executed without any second thoughts. He had had this young man in his employ for 10 years. He had found Joseph to be totally dependable, totally honest and totally trustworthy on every level. Otherwise, he would never have placed him as manager of his household. I believe that he believed Joseph was not guilty of what his wife claimed, but he felt that he had to uphold his wife's honour in front of the rest of the house. So he goes ahead and puts Joseph in prison. But I don't think he ever had any intention of seeing Joseph executed. And I don't think Mrs Potiphar, she would have realised that if she pushed this matter, because I believe she would have only been satisfied with Joseph being executed, I believe she felt that if she pushed this matter, her husband might start to ask a few more questions, which might be a little embarrassing. So (laughs) this is the situation we find ourselves in. He's done the right thing, and now he's paying the consequences again for doing the right thing. All of the thinking that he would have got from Isaac, his grandfather, and Jacob, his father, that if you do the right thing, God will bless and honour you. All of this at this stage, Will, is being turned on its head. He can't see how doing the right thing is going to benefit him. In actual fact, he's ended up in jail for being honest and not giving in to the temptation of Mrs. Potiphar. Quite a story, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, I can certainly imagine how he must have felt when he was thrown into prison. I've been thrown into a pit and uh, because I was doing right and now I'm thrown into prison for doing right. He could have just sat there gloomy and moping about woe is me and so on. But he starts... uh, He starts... Um, integrating with uh, those around him. And uh, what is the result there? Uh, Genesis 39, verses 20 to 23, has the interesting turnaround there. Alija, would you like to read that for us? Yes, I would like to read just a verse before where it says, The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison world. So the world paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So we observe here Joseph, even being in prison, he was not sad or miserable or upset, but he showed his character again over there. He showed again integrity, uh, moral earnestness, and firmness, he showed his gentleness, fidelity, and truthfulness. So his rare 
personal beauty reflect inward of his mind, heart, and uh, pure, active, joyous. And he gained the hearts of the lower level, you know, in the prison. Yes, thank you. Marvellous. Joe? It would be probably interesting to note that Egyptian prisons weren't there, you know, people didn't go to prison for long term, you know, for punishment, uh, you know, one year, two years, three years, the way that they do now. Prisons back then were stop gaps. So you went there for a very short period of time, like we see with the baker and the um, cupbearer. They only go there in, it's like a two or three days or whatever it takes, they get judged, either they're executed or they're sold into slavery. So it was, there was a turnaround and the fact that Joseph was there for quite some time shows that, you know, he was protesting his innocence, but then God had his hand over him and um, he was biding his time. God was biding his time <laughs> until the right time came. And so, um, yeah, because, I, you know, Egyptians, they were one of the earliest prisons and that the prison system was just a stopgap. It wasn't there to punish anyone. It was just to hold them until they are judged. I would like to also to complete that I forgot to say that we have to remember that God chose Joseph from early of his age when God gave him two dreams, very significant dreams. And because of that, he, their brothers hated him, one of the reasons. So God, uh, Joseph was God's child chosen by God because God saw his character. Joseph was thought by by his father and by his mother, uh, the law of God. And Joseph loved God with all his heart. And he chose to obey God. He chose to to apply in his life whatever he learned from his father and mother. Yeah, I just want to add uh, here why Lija uh, took that uh, break from, you know, um, what we were talking about, because Looking back, I was thinking to say this um, quite a while ago. We may have judgmental attitude towards people, towards characters in the Bible. In this case, even towards Jacob that he made that quote. Keep in mind that God has everything in control. And maybe it was God who put this in place. Now, I'm not saying here, I'm, I'm not encouraging favoritism which unfortunately these days can create a lot of hassle in families. But what I would like to say, if we really trust in God, God knows from the beginning what's going to happen. And sometimes instead of being miserable, instead of being outrageous of what happened in our families, we should trust in God and allow him to work out all the difficulties which we face, because too often we take in our own hands things and we are separated, separating ourselves for the loved ones in families. And I believe it's not God's will. God's will is to heal, to bring goodness. And just to look at this, and we'll touch a little bit more on, on this, how beneficial was that Joseph had that coat, which the brothers envy him or because he was sold in slavery or all those things because that was for the salvation of this family. Our focus today has been on finding rest in family ties. 
And uh, it has been said that in our study today that many people find themselves in very difficult family circumstances with uh, strained relationships. We need to find encouragement in the story of Joseph in this regard. And God's word sets out principles for our relationships. His promise is to give us wisdom, and this wisdom also extends to our relationships. And as he was with Joseph, and that was mentioned several times in the text, God was with Joseph. You know, he promises to be with each one of us uh, to support our networks and to support our family relationships. Inspired dreams have led Joseph all the way to Egypt, and further dreams will release him from jail. But this comes in a new and exciting development uh, in, a, uh, in a further chapter, and he becomes uh, Egypt's prime minister, Pharaoh's second in command, and his wise leadership saves many nations from ruin. But of course, that intriguing chapter has to be reserved for a discussion in a later study. Um, Len, would you like to comment onto us about a further re- on our relationships as miniature reflections of a great controversy? All right, before I do, I seem to recall an incident when I was in primary school where somebody had done something that wasn't good and didn't own up. The teacher tried to uh, get them to own up, but they wouldn't. So the teacher then imposed a an imposition on the class and said, you've all got to stay in for five minutes or until the perpetrator owns up. Now, I remember thinking to myself, well, I'm innocent. I didn't do any wrong here. And actually it gave me a a sense of satisfaction in having done what was right. And I think Joseph had this sense of satisfaction in doing what was right, although there were some difficulties he had to face. The question is, why do good people have trouble in their lives, people who want to do what's right, like Joseph? And I think this quote applies very much to that question. Our relationships are miniature reflections of the great controversy between God and Satan that's been raging through the ages. Satan has a vested interest in using all our relationships, especially those that are closest to us, to his advantage in order to hurt and frustrate God's will for our lives. And then there's a little addition. We can be thankful that we are not left to fight these battles on our own. And there's a text in Hebrews 13 verse 5, that reiterates that last sentence I read. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, um, I think for everyone listening today, the word of God has some great counsel overall. How we can conduct ourselves in difficult relationships dysfunctional families. And I think um, the principle is good for us all. We could highlight some. Perhaps um, we could ask a few of you to read some texts that are uh, on this very topic. 
2 Peter 3, 17 and 18, it says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. I find it interesting that Peter actually concludes this brief letter as he began by urging his readers to grow in the grace and knowledge of their Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, to get to know him better and better. And may, as we do that, may we give him the thanks and the praise. And may we look forward to the day where we can have this full assurance, not only now, but when he comes. Yes, and I would like to read Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. So the, this text says it all. And Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This speaks for itself, I guess, and it promises that you and I can rise above whatever may be happening in our lives, hold on to his hand, and like the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, believe in God, obey him and embrace his promises and leave the rest to him. You know, Pamela, I could ask if there are any take-home lessons for you from the story of Joseph's, his up and downs, his in jail and then promoted to the high position in the um, household of Potiphar, being a favorite son and then landing in a uh, in a pit and being sold as a slave. The ups and downs of life can really uh, bring one down. But there is there anything that you think? Uh, what is the key, you think, in the whole survival of Joseph under these difficult circumstances, do you think? I think, Will, Joseph actually says, that God sent me here to preserve life ahead of you. I wonder whether Joseph would have made that comment when he was in prison looking after um, the various prisoners. But as a result of the experience that he'd gone through, he recognised that God's leading was front and centre in his life. And he recognised also, I believe, that Had he not been faithful to God at every step of the way, there was always the possibility that he could go in a different direction from the direction God wanted him to go. And I think the take-home message for us today is study God's word, find God's will for you in your life, and follow it. Follow it to the T. Don't follow it when it suits you and don't follow it when it doesn't suit you. Follow it at every aspect of your life. And the text that we have read just reinforce that, that God will lead us safely if we put our total trust in him. Good counsel, Brenton. Helen? One central thought that I want to share is that God has not forsaken us when we face life's challenges. And if, as Joseph, we choose to be faithful to God in the tough times, he will prepare us for something much greater than we can ever imagine. So true. Lynn? I'd like to say... There is no glory in being a quitter. Those who are faithful, God will bring them through those trials and troubles. 
And I expect some of you listeners are going through issues. We've got lockdowns still. We've got all kinds of things, loss of employment, etc. There is no glory in being a quitter. We are admonished to be faithful. And at the end of the line, there is a crown of glory awaiting each of us. Lydia? Maybe some of us come from a wonderful, supportive, godly homes, but some others come from broken homes or homes where the conditions were were are less than ideal. So no matter what our home life is, what was like, every one of us will, as did Joseph, go through some difficult experiences in life. But we have to remember, if we trust in the Lord, if we choose him to serve him and love him in, in, in our lives and show to others God's character in our lives, in whatever we do to bring honor and glory to him, God will never forget us. He will never forsaken us. He will remember about us always, and he will be with us, with us always as he was with Joseph in all his life and in all his circumstances of his life. Yes, thank you. Brenton, I think it's a good idea for us to pray today for ourselves and every listener. No doubt there are people out there who are finding it tough, as uh, Len has indicated not only with lockdown, but with family issues. And I want to ask that you pray especially that God will bring healing to dysfunctional family atmospheres, as well as uh, helping us to, uh, to demonstrate the Lord's power to transform our hearts and our lives. Sure. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you that we are members of the family of heaven. The family of heaven is not dysfunctional. The love that God has for his children, the love that God has for the angels, is um, a love that we cannot understand. And today we do live in dysfunctional families, many of us. We do live in a society where um, it seems to be fractured and broken. And I want to pray, Lord, for our listeners today in a special way. Some of them who will be listening to this program may live in dysfunctional families. They may may live in totally fractured families where people barely speak to one another. And so I just want to pray that you'll flood these people with your love. Help them to recognise that our Heavenly Father, we can call him Abba, Father, because he is our loving Heavenly Father. Christ is our elder brother and the Holy Spirit is in our hearts and our lives. Lord, just as you were with Joseph, May we have the assurance today that you are with us. May we study the word of God and may we trust the promises of your word. And I'd like to finish, Lord, by quoting a promise that I believe is so important. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. May that be the experience of our panel and our listeners for today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for uh, your participation today. This was a very special um, topic because uh, relates to us all. We are all part of a family. We may choose friends and uh, other people to have relationships 
with. But family is given to us. And we learn a very important lesson that Joseph, even though he, he was mistreated, he faced a lots of difficulties. He really find rest in family ties and he was a blessing for his family. And he was not revengeful. He was not taking in his own hands the matter which God is only able to do and solve it and sort it out. I'll encourage you all to consider this and learn from this wonderful example of Joseph. And I'm inviting you next time to join us when we are going to talk a little bit more about rest, relationships, and healing. We are all in need of great healing. And our Father, God, the great healer, will do that if we allow him to work in our lives and not being disappointed of the situation we live in. I really encourage you to continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Keep looking up, don't give up, don't give up when there's pain deep in your heart. Keep looking up, don't give up, don't give up should the tears begin to start. With a prayer all your cares he will cast into the depths of the sea I know his love is there for me We make our plans and still it's God who directs our ways He knows each step I Should the tears begin